Greetings from Cyberdelic Space. This is Lorenzo, and I'm your host here in the Psychedelic Salon. And if I could do a good impression of Mr. Rogers, I'd say something like, And how do you spell lazy, boys and girls? The answer is L-O-R-E-N-Z-O. <laughs> and that's why you haven't heard from me for almost two weeks, because, uh, well, I've just been plain old lazy. Uh, hopefully you're as well rested right now as I am. So, uh, hey, let's get this new year in the salon rolling. To begin with, I'd like to thank some non-lazy people who sent in a donation to uh, the salon to help offset some of our expenses. And these great saloners are Ryan C. And uh, Ryan, today's message is uh, not so dire, at least uh, most of it isn't, and uh, hopefully it'll bring a few smiles to your face. Also, uh, I'd like to thank Kelsey E., and uh, thanks for the kind words about my novel, Kelsey. Also to uh, Ryan W., who uh, also made a generous donation to the salon. And uh, Ryan, uh, don't worry about not finding the salon sooner. We're just glad that you're uh, here with us now. Additionally, I'd like to thank the anonymous Bitcoin donor who became the last person to make a donation to the salon in 2013. So thank you one and all for your support. And uh, that also goes to our fellow saloners who are linking to the uh, salon's program notes and who are telling their friends about the salon. It all helps us to uh, find more of the others in our worthy cause of further expanding the consciousness of us poor humans. (laughs) That's pretty dramatic, isn't it? Now, uh, if you remember a few podcasts back, uh, I played what I thought was the best goddamn dope story ever told, as uh, told by Ron Schock. Well, while it's not a funny story that's coming, and it's on a completely different level, in a few minutes we're going to hear the best goddamn ayahuasca story that I've ever heard. (laughs) And uh, if you have as good an imagination as I do, you'll see what I mean. Now, when I first began listening to this talk and editing out the parts where an audience question wasn't picked up by a microphone, I at first thought that the title of this podcast would simply be Sex and Psychedelics. However, as you will soon hear, Annie went beyond that interesting topic and added some thoughts about how us old psychedelic heads might go about this business of getting even older. It's not an easy task, but it sure beats the alternative. So sit back, relax, and get ready for some interesting conversation as we join Annie Oak and some friends in the big Palenque Norte tent at the 2013 Burning Man Festival. Hey everybody, welcome. Welcome back to the Palenque Norte speaker series. We're super excited to have Annie here. Annie Oak is the founder of the Women's Visionary Congress, which highlights the women who work with entheogens and also hosts a beautiful conference. Um, She's also founder of the Full Circle Tea House, which is right next door. I believe Jay's serving some tea over here. (laughs) Um, So without further ado, here's Annie Oak. Thank you very much. Thanks for uh, coming to the Palenque Norte Speaker Series and... Hopefully, after this is done, we can go next door to the Full Circle Tea House and have some tea. Mm. So this is my home camp, and uh, I am serving tea next door with the Full Circle crew, which is a really beautiful group of people. And um, this evening, I wanted to 
talk a little bit about psychedelics and uh, working with our shadow side and also about sex. I've been wanting to talk about psychedelics and sex for a long time. Yeah. Yeah, I'm getting a little hand-waving in the background. All right. So um, this talk is called Future Pleasures in Feminine Entheogenic Spaces. And I wanted to talk about how we seek pleasure with psychedelics, both embodied and unembodied, and how we can do more of that and how it might benefit our lives. So I want to start by pointing out that Generally, you know, we're a society that um, has kind of a funny attitude towards pleasure. We, we sort of distrust pleasure, yet we're pleasure-seeking creatures. And we take pretty extraordinary lengths to feel pleasure in our lives. The two most prescribed pharmaceuticals ever in the world are, can you guess... SSRIs, antidepressants, and Viagra. That's right. So a shockingly high number of people in the United States and other parts of the world take pharmaceuticals to ease their symptoms of depression, elevate their moods, and have sex. So let's think about this for a second. Oh, we have these pharmaceutical companies who are making a whole lot of money out of our seeking of pleasure through altered states of consciousness. Hmm. And here we are as a psychedelic community who have other tools to seek these states of pleasure that are different from what the pharmaceutical companies are offering us. So I thought it'd be kind of fun to look at the potential for some of these substances. I'll tell a couple of stories about my personal erotic encounters with psychedelics. And then we'll figure out uh, where we might go from here into our other future states of pleasure with substances that can really bring us to interesting and ecstatic spaces. So let's talk about SSRIs for a second. A lot of people take antidepressants. SSRIs, heavily prescribed, especially for women. As it turns out, women take more SSRIs than men. Older women take more SSRIs than younger women. You know, when women get to be a little bit older, they're encouraged to take estrogen, to... Uh, prolong their uh, estrogenic states and um, prescribed a lot of mood-enhancing and antidepressant drugs. Now, the problem with SSRIs, of course, is they completely flatten your libido, right? So you're going to elevate your mood, maybe feel a little less depressed, but your sexual life is just going to completely take a nosedive. It's just going to flatten you right out. Now, w w when you think about that for a second, that's very contradictory, right? So, okay, so you feel a little bit better, but your erotic life is just not happening. And I've had a lot of friends who have gone through this experience where they're stabilized on their mood, but they are just not connecting with their erotic selves, and so that makes them 
kind of depressed. And so they take more SSRIs, you know? It's like, hmm, this is really interesting. So I think that certain types of psychedelic substances can really enhance our sexual lives. So let's do a quick inventory of some of these substances and what they can do for us as an alternative to antidepressants that are prescribed by doctors and offered by pharmaceutical companies. So the first thing that comes to mind, of course, is MDMA. MDMA is a very interesting substance for really opening the heart, for making connections with people, for forgiveness, for really connecting deeply on a personal and spiritual and sexual level with people. It's really great for couples therapy. It's really interesting as a tool to resolve conflict between people. I just heard a really beautiful story today about a couple who um, just had a child together and people who have children, often their sexual lives go through some real challenges because they're pouring all their energy into this baby, this new being and raising that child and taking care of that child and they're not getting a lot of sleep and it's very stressful on relationships. And so this couple decided to really rekindle their sexual and intimate relationship with uh, MDMA session and apparently it was um, it was quite successful and they were able to really reconnect with each other in a really profound way and and uh, to their benefit and of course to the benefit of their entire family which um, which is really important when you're trying to raise a healthy family you want to have a strong connection between your mother and your father so I see this as uh, an opportunity to not only enhance couples' sexual lives, but to build healthy families, people who really care for each other and can really address conflict and, and work on their relationships. And I think there's a lot of potential for MDMA-assisted therapy. Of course, there are now studies ongoing for MDMA-assisted therapy for PTSD. And the... Early results are extremely promising for people with PTSD, many returning veterans, people who have been sexually assaulted, especially women who've been sexually assaulted. And I think that that research is going to bear a lot of fruit because it's treatment-resistant PTSD that they're really using MDMA for. So people who are disconnected from their erotic and sexual lives because of sexual trauma, because of PTSD of various sorts. It really allows them to access those, those places where they're traumatized and, and, in, and be in that moment and then get past it, get past it. And, um, and I think that that's going to be a really uh, helpful tool for a lot of people. I really look forward to the day when MDMA-assisted therapy is legal and accessible for everybody and I think that day is, um, is coming and that we'll, we'll see that day and it will really change the way that people work through their traumas and enhance their lives. I also think that um, other psychedelic substances can be uh, really interesting on an erotic level and uh, in a way um, it's not necessarily immediately obvious um, a lot of people are discovering the um, 
world of ayahuasca. Many um, people are speaking here in the speaker series about their encounters with ayahuasca, and the growing number of people are journeying to um, Latin America, working with shamans, having intense ayahuasca experiences. And, um, you know, most of the experiences that people relay with ayahuasca are very intensely personal. They, uh, they often encounter uh, entities, and mama ayahuasca is often perceived as a, a healing feminine entity that uh, allows people to, again, address trauma in their lives and, and really open themselves up to the full possibility of who they are. And, uh, and move into a fuller realization of their potential. I want to talk about my erotic experience with ayahuasca because I don't hear much about that. The first time I took ayahuasca, I, uh, I was in a very safe place. I was working with really beautiful guys who were lovely shamans. I trusted them. Um, they did a beautiful ceremony. It was exquisite, and I felt really um, challenged by it because it, uh, if you've any of you done ayahuasca, it, it's a purgative. It makes you throw up, and you know you're on your hands and knees, and you're like, "Okay, Vine, you've got my full attention. You've got my full attention. You know what's the message here?" And so I, I was kind of in that place. I was sort of in a difficult place and uh, doing a lot of purging and. And uh, I, I went outside to pee, and uh, I just couldn't bring myself to go back inside. I knew that I was supposed to, because the Iowa scarrows were very clear that you needed to be inside the space. But honestly, I just wanted to crawl underneath a bush and put my belly on the ground and, and, and just connect with the earth and, and just hug the, the surface of the ground and ground myself out didn't want to be inside. So right near the entrance to this uh, structure that we were in, I uh, crawled underneath a, a bush and uh, flattened myself against the ground. And, um, and then I had this vision, and suddenly I was cold because I was outdoors and I wasn't really dressed properly, and I, I, didn't, I wasn't lying on a pad or anything. I didn't have my fluffy blanket that I had inside. And but um, so I tried to imagine a warm space, and I, I asked for help. And I think that this is a really important um, thing to remember when uh, really immersed in a psychedelic journey. If you're in a stuck place or having a really challenging experience, ask for help. Ask your personal guardian angels, your personal entities, the entities that surround you, the spirit of the plants to help you. And so I did, and I asked the ayahuasca spirits to help me, and suddenly I found myself in this really cozy indoor space. And it was um, a beautiful room. It had low light. There was a fire burning, and, um, and I was sitting there, and, and, and in this room was this, um, was this man and uh, uh, he looked to be uh, perhaps an indigenous man. He, uh, he had uh, black hair, and, and he was very welcoming. And, um, 
and he said, uh, you said you, you're, you look cold. And I'm like, yeah, I'm freezing. <laughs> I'm shivering underneath this bush. And he said, I'll, I'll, you know, I have some soup. I'll be right back. So he goes and he gets me this bowl of soup. And, I, and he hands it to me. And I'm, I'm, I start drinking the soup in my vision. And uh, I'm thinking, wow, this is very cool. And I'm drinking the soup. And um, I look up from my soup, and the guy is gone. And where the guy was sitting is suddenly this enormous black cat, a black jaguar. And I was like, wow. I've, I've heard about jaguar visions on ayahuasca. This is, this is pretty cool. And uh, I was a little scared. The cat was very big. And um, and so I I sat very still like you do with wild creatures and waited for it to uh, to acknowledge me and the the cat's tails kind of going back and forth and back and forth and um, but we we the cat communicated and it was welcoming and it said welcome it's good you're safe here uh, this is my home you know I hope you're enjoying your soup. And um, and and I realized pretty quickly as I sat drinking my soup, looking at this cat, that the cat was playful. You know how you play with your house cat, where the cat will like reach out its paw, and and kind of you can you know sort of play with it. And um, and this cat was like that, except this cat was about three times my size, and uh, and and I was I was a little scared and and kind of blown away by this. But um, so this cat and I started to play like you would play with a big house cat, and and I I, I um, suddenly had this desire to do the same thing that I do with my cat at home, which is kind of like snuggle up next to your cat. You know, if you're cat owners or you have a dog, like just lie there next to your creature and and listen to it purr. And I thought, well, I wonder if this giant cat purrs and. So I, I asked the cat, I said, well, would it be okay if I like snuggled up next to you? I, you know, not too long ago, I was lying under a bush in a freezing cold forest in the middle of the Sierras, and I'm feeling better, but, you know, would that be all right? And the cat's like, sure, that's okay. So before I knew it, I was like snuggled up next to this big black cat. And, uh, well... Um, one thing kind of led to another, and before I knew it, this cat started licking me like a, a house cat would. Have you ever been licked by your house cat? It's got this rough tongue, right? And it's kind of this funny feeling. It's like a sandpapery tongue, except this cat's tongue was like the size of that pillow over there. It was like big. And, um, and it was just a really erotic experience. And I felt like um, like a baby kitten, and th- this cat was like my big mama cat, and it and it was just like licking me and clean, like I was being cleansed by this cat, like a little scruffy kitten would be, and it was really erotic, and this cat started licking me all over, and before I knew it, you know, I was having this very erotic experience with this cat that was treating me like. A little kitten, and um, got to tell you, it was pretty hot. You know, as an erotic experience and as a vision, and yet at the same time, I was quite aware that this cat was was part of the ayahuasca spirit, 
and that I needed to treat this cat with great respect because it was way more powerful than I was and, and, um, and that this was a temporary experience and that I was just going to kind of go with it. And uh, it was delicious. It was playful and it was warm and it was a little scary. And and I had never seen a cat that big uh, or been, you know, that I had been really close to except in a zoo. And uh, and it was a really hot, psychedelic experience and um, really kind of opened my eyes to the potential for being both embodied and disembodied because I was definitely disembodied. I was someplace else in my vision and yet I was embodied within this vision having an erotic experience with another species and I thought, wow, this is, this is great. If all my ayahuasca experiences are like this, I am so down, you know. I'm like, I'm there. I'll go to Peru. I'll, you know, do whatever. And... Um, I never had that experience again with ayahuasca. It was a complete one-off, but it was a hell of a welcome to that spirit ally. And I've often felt that cat kind of with me, you know, in moments where I've, I'm in some sort of distress or I'm confused or I need a, some sort of guardian spirit. Uh, somehow that cat, is, that cat is nearby. I feel like that cat is watching out for me. So that's an, ex- that's a, an example of a and disembodied, embodied, erotic, psychedelic vision. And I think we're all capable of having those. I think we can practice invoking them in a certain way. So I want to talk about another substance, and that's uh, psilocybin mushrooms. Now, the original person who was scheduled for this talk is uh, Shona Holm. And uh, Shona is... um, She's a friend of mine. I'm honored to be her friend. She spoke recently at the Women's Visionary Congress, uh, an event that I founded. And we have an annual uh, gathering of psychedelic women and men. And uh, it happened in June in Northern California. And Shona came and she spoke. And she gave this extraordinary talk about her experiences with psilocybin mushrooms. And... um, and about the entities that she has met in her deep mushroom journeys. And um, Shona, like myself, feel um, the greatest resonance with uh, mushroom allies for, of all the psychedelic substances. I, I've always felt that um, when I go deep into the mushroom space, uh, I encounter allies that are truly guardian allies and are there to teach me some really profound lessons. And I really try to have a uh, question prepared because inevitably I'm always there deep in the space and the mushroom goddess is in front of me and she's pulsing and she's breathing and she's green and iridescent and you know, flowing and surging and erotic. And she always says, so you're here. Hi, nice to see you. Hope the journey was okay. What's your question? And I always try to have a question prepared for the mushroom goddess, a good one, because she's always like, listen, I'm overscheduled, okay? (laughs) Got a lot going on in the entity world, so, you know, cut to the chase, give me your question. And I try to have a question prepared, 
Now, Shona, when she gave her talk at the Women's Visionary Congress, and I'm, I'm just hoping that she's okay with me saying this because she said it in a public place, when she gets to this place in her mushroom experience, in a deep place, she is able to have spontaneous orgasms within that mushroom space, like full-on lying there going, whoo, wow, full-on orgasm, like, whoa, without touching herself. Wow. That's pretty amazing. Like, if, if a pharmaceutical company could make that drug and brand it and sell it, you know, that would make a lot of money for people. Now, not everyone can do that, right? I, I myself have never had a spontaneous orgasm in a deep mushroom journey, but I'm going to work on it, okay? <laughs> I think that's like a worthy goal, right? You know, when you get your bucket list for the year and you're like, okay, what are my goals this year? That's one of my goals this year. Like, How can you connect with those entities and those guardian spirits to be unembodied and embodied at the same time to be able to feel intense physical pleasure in that psychedelic journey space? Whatever Shona Home is doing to get there, I salute her, and I want to go there too. Like alone, with groups of people, whatever, you know, I think it's something to shoot for. And so, because Shona was going to speak here, we're going to do a shout out to Shona, girl. Keep on rocking those spontaneous orgasms, Shona, and teach us how to do it, okay? Because I think that's something to shoot for. I think that's awesome, and it's possible. So I'm going to look at my notes here and see what else I wanted to talk about. Oh yeah, I want to talk about. I want to talk about the aging process because you know none of us are getting any younger I just turned 52 and I'm like really happy with it I'm enjoying being that age a whole lot I feel like I'm just beginning to come into my own power and really manifest a lot of things I've wanted to do in the world but um, I really feel like you know, at 52, you need, like, a plan for successful aging, right? Because in your 20s, you take it all for granted. In your 30s, you're just raging it hard. Who cares, right? In your 40s, you start to, like, realize that you get sort of the body and the energy that you work for, right? You know, you have to work for it. In your 50s, you have to really work for it. You need to work hard. You need to be actively working out, eating well, to keep your energy level to the place where you can gather enough energy to travel deeply in your psychedelic visions. Because if you don't have that thing together energetically, you can't go as far and you can't go as deep and you can't get the kind of insights and lessons that these plant allies can really give you. So I put together kind of a process, uh, a five-step plan for what I consider to be successful psychedelic aging. And it sort of goes like this. Um, number one is working out hard. You have to work hard. You have to go to the gym. You need to do your yoga. 
You need to work your body, and you need to stay really strong. There's no shortcuts. The older I get, the more I realize I have to work harder, work out harder, be strong, because um, you lose bone and muscle mass as you get older, and so you have to compensate for that. And um, get a trainer, find the thing you love to do. You have to stay physically embodied and grounded in order to leave your body. And so you really need to find whatever exercise and workout plan works for you. And the second thing, and the obvious corollary to that, is eating well. You have to really keep a clean diet to keep your energy level going and strong. And, um, and uh, you also need to just treat yourself well. You need to get enough sleep. You need to take your supplements. Do whatever it is to make yourself physically strong because we all know the body and the mind are connected. You limit yourself to where you can go in your mind by the limitations of your body, and you, there's just no shortcut around that. The other things that I would recommend for a successful psychedelic aging is uh, a sense of purpose, work that serves the community, something that you really love to do, that really serves you, that makes you feel connected, that enhances the lives of other people, and... Uh, and really makes you feel like your work and your life is meaningful, I think that that's a, a really essential piece to that. And, um, and I also feel that you have to keep a really close connection to the natural world. You have to be able to find time to be outside, outdoors, in the natural environment, connect to the earth. And you also need to be in community. You need to have a strong sense of community. Build your own psychedelic community wherever you are. Build a community of people who support you. And this is part of successful psychedelic aging. And then, of course, there's psychedelics. Now, my role model for successful psychedelic aging is, of course, Albert Hoffman, the creator of LSD. Because... Albert Hoffman lived to be over 100 years old. Now, logic would dictate that Albert Hoffman almost certainly used LSD in his aging process to successfully, psychedelically age in a way that allowed him to be an old and yet vigorous man. I had the great pleasure to meet him and to attend a press conference, I, in 1996, went to Basel, Switzerland and uh, attended his birthday party. And I was there with a group of other reporters. I, I was a reporter back then. And I got to ask the obvious question. The beautiful thing about being a reporter is that you get to ask the really obvious questions that nobody else wants to ask. And so, of course, you know the obvious question for Dr. Hoffman on his birthday. So, Dr. Hoffman, <clears throat> do you feel that LSD has contributed to your longevity? Right? It's the obvious question that no one kind of wants to ask. It's the big elephant in the room. And he was so funny. He drew himself up and, he, and through his interpreter, he 
He said, no, absolutely not. It has nothing to do with LSD. It is, it is the muesli and the raw eggs that he eats every morning in his muesli and his Swiss cereal. And I'm, I'm sitting there going, yeah, right, you know. That's what he said, and I respect what he says. But I have also read accounts of Dr. Hoffman using micro doses of LSD to take him to a non-ordinary state of consciousness, low-level microdosing, and using that shift of consciousness in low-level microdoses of LSD to more deeply connect with the natural world. Because remember, Albert Hoffman always said that LSD helped him to deeply connect with the natural world. It was his way of finding out a path, a way into deeply comprehending the beauty and majesty of God and of nature. And he used LSD for this purpose. And I believe that this was a really important piece of his secret to longevity, and it could be ours. If we use small quantities of LSD in collaboration with a healthy lifestyle, now here's a guy who, who went hiking in the Swiss Alps almost every day, was very active, was living in a beautiful, clean environment, was eating a clean diet, doing all the things that I've just suggested is a, a part of successful psychedelic aging. He also had an inversion table where he hung upside down and got a lot of blood into his brain, which could well have contributed to his intellectual and physical vigor as an old man. But this concept of microdosing, I think, is really, really rich territory, especially for older people. After you've done your heroic doses of whatever psychedelic you fancy, the really interesting place to explore is the microdose. The small enhancement to enhance your reality but allow you to function and as an adjunct to your creativity and your connection to the natural world and your spiritual evolution. So I think that there's a a lot of potential there and I think that gerontology, the study of very old people, is a fascinating topic. I often ask doctors what my own lifespan might be. I'm 52, and I say, hey, uh, given good medical care, healthy diet, exercise, how old do you think I could live? Uh, assuming that medical technology keeps pace and I don't get unlucky and get snuffed in a car accident or something, what do you think is my expected lifespan? And the number that I keep getting back for a, a healthy American female is about 120. So let's think about that for a second. Wow. I mean, will my IRA, you know, last for 120? Will I be a poor old person, you know? If I'm a poor old person, <laughs> my IRA runs out and, you know, there's 
there's all sorts of conflict in the world and the environment is challenged, etc. I will definitely want to be microdosing. Definitely. I will want to use small, carefully administrated doses of LSD to enhance my aging process, to keep me engaged with the world, to keep my deep connection with the natural world, to keep my connection to my community, to love myself enough to take super extra good care of myself as an old person. Yeah, I think it's a really interesting topic to explore. And I like to think that the elders in our psychedelic community, and I'm not quite there yet, only 52, junior elder, the elders in our community, the people in their late 50s, people in their 60s and 70s and 80s, are really going to be on the cutting edge of this. And I... And my, my vision, and the thing that I'd like to put out in my talk is I'd like to envision a day when people who are in old folks' homes, assisted living facilities, have access to psychedelics to be able to push the envelope and do this, to use MDMA to address their trauma, to use LSD to enhance their lives and their aging process and to use psilocybin to go deep into their journey space and seek out their allies that they will need for the next process which is death of course. I've always assumed that that the traditional uses of psychedelics in traditional societies were preparation for death and so old people should not only have access to psychedelic substances for healing, but they should be able to prepare for the dying process. And of course, the, the Harbor UCLA study that was done with psilocybin with people with end-stage cancer and anxiety studied this very thing to see whether people approaching death with cancer who are experiencing anxiety at the end of their lives benefited from a spiritual experience with psilocybin? And of course the answer was yes. Big surprise. So I hope for all of us that we can envision a time when we can use these substances to grow old gracefully, to prepare for our dying process, to be strong and both in our bodies and journeyers in the outside world and to be able to be radiant human beings, fulfilling our full potential and our duties to the planet and other species, and, um, and eventually become disembodied in a graceful way as we approach the, the final threshold into death. So that's what I'd like to leave you with, and I'd be happy to take questions. Thank you. Yes, I do. Um, you know, I come from a family of scientists, and there's some really good, good data out there that's uh, being collected about the, the PTSD studies with MDMA, now the psilocybin studies. Um, the data is pretty compelling. And um, for people who really... Uh, respect and, uh, and feel comforted by science, 
those studies, I think, are a good place to start, um, especially if they have certain conditions such as PTSD or cancer, uh, where they can identify with the subjects of the studies and say, ah, aha, those studies really have demonstrated scientifically the beneficial aspects of those particular substances. Now, if, if that is not sufficient or they're not particularly interested in studies because they're, they have anxiety about a certain substance, you know, a lot of people um, are afraid of psychedelics because it's the, it's the fear of going into the shadow world. It's the fear of losing control. It's the fear of death, you know, and I've always thought that, that women are a little bit better suited to psychedelics because we're, we're socialized to surrender and, uh, and to letting go and to be receptive to intense experience because we give birth. So, um, so if somebody is afraid of that and yet they're curious, um, starting with a very low dose, doing it with them as a sitter, or uh, having another sitter and you doing it with them as a shared experience in uh, a very carefully controlled um, and pleasant surroundings. It's always about set and setting, of course, as we know. And in a, in a getting them in a state of mind where they feel that, uh, that they're not ex- coming into the experience with a great deal of anxiety or fear, try to bring them into it in a place of acceptance and... Uh, and, and embrace at a very low dose in an environment where they feel really comfortable. Yes. Why should the pursuit of orgasm be a next step? Um, well, because it's fun. <laughs> because I'm a pleasure activist. <laughs> because it brings us joy. Because as we age and, and we encounter sickness and illness and injury, it's really good to experience one's bodies as a joyous thing. Because sometimes you don't have a partner. Because sometimes people are alone. Because we really have to learn how to pleasure ourselves first before we can really bring pleasure to other people. I do believe that. Um, because it's uh, another type of altered state of consciousness that we can uh, seek and aim for um, you know the and, and, and because it, it brings us into another kind of altered space that is an enhancement in the altered space we're already in and I wish Shona were here to answer that question too but I, I think it's I think it's a way for us to fully accept ourselves as erotic beings and to, um, and to love ourselves and to forgive ourselves and to allow ourselves to experience real pleasure as a form of self-love. And if we really love ourselves, then we're better at loving other people. We're better at loving the planet. I hope that answers your question. Okay. Question. Can I say something about the erotic side of LSD? Mmm. Yeah. I find LSD pretty damn erotic. Um, of course, it depends on set and setting who you're with. 
how well slept and hydrated you are, the quality of the material. There are a lot of factors, you know, that play into that. Um, I find it's really playful. Sensation and touch is really enhanced. If you can see light trails, that's pretty neat. If you're playing with somebody else's body, it can be very fluid. Um, it can certainly lower uh, inhibitions. Um, uh, I really kind of enjoy it at, at, again, like lower doses, what I call walking dose, uh, like, say, 200 mics as opposed to 300, uh, because I feel more embodied at a dose like that and uh, able to engage with another person. So, um, yeah, I, I think that it's, um, it has a lot of potential that needs to be explored erotically. And um, I think it's one of those substances for, for which set and setting is really key. You really have to set your nest. You need to have a warm, cozy place. You have to have your, your after food prepared in advance so that if you get hungry somewhere in that 12-hour journey, you, can, you have some warm food to keep you going to fuel your fire with. Uh, you have to uh, be well hydrated. And you need a, a place where you feel completely safe. You really need a, a safe and engaging nest to, to do that. Now, if you uh, go out there on the playa and uh, have a, an LSD experience, it's cool. There are lots of blinky lights and fun things to interact with. But at a certain point, what do you want to do? You want to come home and you want to curl up someplace cozy and warm with a nice cozy, warm person, ideally, and just get cozy and warm together. So you really need to have to make sure that you have that place to do it in and some food prepared in advance. And hydrate, of course, enhances the experience. Yeah. Yeah, I heard uh, Rick Doblin talk today about uh, how soon he expects MDMA to be uh, made legal for doctors and therapists to use. Um, uh, we have over here a board member of MAPS. Uh, what's the date that, uh, that you guys predict? I think it's like 2021, 2022, sometime like that. Right. Not too far from now. You know, it'll take a while, but it's coming. They see it. There, there are several steps that they need to, to get through in the research process, but they see it very clearly. We'll see it in our lifetime. And what's, what's even better is we'll see it as older people. We as older people will have the benefit of that research. And that's a marvelous thing. Do you have your hand up? Oh. Uh, the questioner said, uh, ketamine is being used in emergency rooms to treat uh, acute depression. That's interesting. Yes. Yes, Ibogaine therapy. Yeah. The, this gentleman from Brazil was just saying that uh, there, that Ibogaine is being used uh, to uh, to treat addictions, especially opiate addictions, and that's certainly true. Um, I, I'm aware of several clinics in Mexico, also and, and also Canada, uh, where Ibogaine has been quite effective in helping people uh, release themselves from addiction. Yes, true. Yes, over here, you had a question. 
So smoking cocaine, bazooka, it's called bazooka, and also using cannabis as a way to overcome addiction? I see. Uh-huh, to opiates. Interesting. Well, you know, a lot of people get into trouble with addictions to various substances, and a lot of therapies have proven pretty ineffective, and so there's a lot of investigation to be done with Ibogaine, certainly, and other substances as well. Think of the number of people who get hooked on to Vicodin, just for starters, wildly overprescribed. You go into the hospital for anything, and you've got a full script for Vicodin before you know it. A ton of people get hooked on Vicodin. It's a nasty substance. I had some surgery a few years ago, and, and I weaned myself off that stuff as soon as I possibly could. You know how I did it? With cannabis. Because cannabis potentiates Vicodin. And if you can ramp down the Vicodin and use cannabis to stop the pain, you can cut your use of Vicodin really quickly and substitute it with cannabis. And that's a uh, that's fact. And I did it, and it was very effective. Cannabis in general, I find to be, uh, you know, it's not strictly a psychedelic, but it's, uh, it's a very useful ally. Uh, I find it, uh, because I, I'm not particularly interested in alcohol, I like, uh, I like cannabis as a social drug, I like it as an erotic drug, I like it as, uh, as uh, an ally for meta-thinking. It's a very good ally, yes. The question is, uh, with entheogens and longevity, uh, what do people think of Terence McKenna's illness? He died of brain cancer. Myoblastoma, correct? Did I get that right? Yeah. It looks like a mushroom in the brain, an imagery that I've seen. It's really, um, you know, very interesting. Um, well, <coughs> People have been doing psilocybin mushrooms for a very long time. There doesn't appear to be any direct causal link between psilocybin mushroom use and brain cancer. And so I would deduce that um, that was a one-off experience. Um, unfortunate and sad, but, you know, people get unlucky with cancer all the time. So not unusual in that regard. I, I remember uh, somebody saying... Um, Oh well, you know. Do you think it was all your, uh, you know? Do you, do you think that cannabis uh, might have a prophylactic effect on cancer? And he said, if that's true, I wouldn't have, you know, this condition or something like that because he was a fan of cannabis as well. Um, I think that's unknowable. Uh, it, we just don't know, you know. He was a very interesting guy. He got unlucky. Happens to a lot of people. He was just better known than most. I hate to be so cut and dried about it, but that's pretty much the truth of it. Yes. I, I agree with you. Uh, the, the, the questioner uh, noted that uh, I, I said that I didn't consider cannabis a psychedelic, but it, of course, can have a powerful psychedelic effect done at the right, right dosage. And I think that's definitely true, especially when people eat it. Right. Yeah, I think that's true. I tend not to do cannabis in that way, and so I don't personally consider it a psychedelic, but certainly it can have that effect. Absolutely. I agree. Yes. Wow. So the questioner said that Terrence said that the absence of smoking cannabis for 24 hours when he went back to it had a psychedelic effect for him. How interesting. Everyone's brain chemistry is different. Isn't that a beautiful 
elegant piece of natural engineering. Thank you, Mother Nature. Yes. Hmm. That's an interesting question. Um, you know, uh, there is a new um, biography of Albert Hoffman that is out where it talks about the size of those dosages, I believe. Um, as I understand it, uh, you know, at 200 mics, a uh, pretty standard dose for people who want a full-on effect, that microdose might be considered, say, 40 mics or maybe even 20. Measuring it out, of course, tricky, tricky. But if you're determined, you can do it. And uh, I would like to see somebody measuring out microdoses for that exact purpose. Yes, in the back. Absolutely, 25, 25 mics would be a nice microdose. Yes, sirree. That would put a little twinkle in your day. I was once a house guest at a lovely, beautiful house, and the hostess looked over at me at breakfast in the morning, lovely, elegant lady, beautiful, grand house, and she said, oh, will you be microdosing with us this morning? <laughs> and I thought, I am definitely in the right house, in the right place with the right people. Other questions? No more questions. I've got a question for you. How many people here have had an erotic experience on or with psychedelics? Woo, that's two hands. Yes. We have a significant number of people here who have had an erotic experience on psychedelics. So I wish you all many more erotic experiences on psychedelics as you get older and many, many more interesting investigations that you can add to the collective pool of knowledge that we share. Thank you very much. You're listening to The Psychedelic Salon, where people are changing their lives one thought at a time. Well, uh, that was certainly a wide-ranging discussion, and uh, how I wish that I could have been there myself. I'll bet that the uh, ongoing conversations in camp that evening were quite interesting. Now, regarding Annie's mention of Dr. Albert Hoffman and whether LSD may have played a role in his longevity, well, I only have this little tidbit to add. But uh, one time at an entheobotany conference in Palenque, Mexico, I heard Christian Rasch, who uh, at the time was very close to Dr. Hoffman, say that the doctor was, in fact, using low-dose LSD. Now, I can no longer remember if he said that Dr. Hoffman was still doing that or had done so in the past. And I can't remember the dose that uh, he was mentioning at the time. But the truth is that uh, none of us has a recollection that is clear enough to say for sure what was said. So I guess somebody could ask Christiane about it, but my hunch is that since Dr. Hoffman was always very adamant about no longer using acid, or at least publicly not admitting it, well, out of respect for his memory, I suspect that uh, probably his close friends aren't going to be very likely uh, to discuss it either. Now, if you want my personal opinion about low-dose LSD, well, I personally believe that a low dose of LSD-25, uh, say somewhere between just you know 10 and 25 micrograms, that small a dose uh, like that could actually be quite beneficial during the aging process. So, uh, in a, another 10 years or so, I may have to consider a regime like that myself. But uh, for now, uh, watching my diet and getting some exercise every day seems to be uh, working quite well. 
Well, that and a little medical marijuana, I should add. <laughs> it's the only medicine that I take. Uh, you know, I, I avoid prescription medicines like the plague that they are. But getting back to what Annie was saying about low-dose LSD, what I can add to this is uh, the fact that during the six-month period when I was completing the final draft of my book, The Spirit of the Internet, I did daily doses, low doses of LSD the entire time. And I know a number of other people who have done uh, something like that at different times in their lives as well. You know, the, the secret in being productive under the influence of low-dose LSD, I found, was that the first day of a regimen, uh, not much gets done. But after that first day, you really won't uh, have any significant physical sensations of being on acid, if it's LSD-25. But your mind will be amazing. And uh, used properly, I think it can truly be a catalyst for the imagination. And if you're a programmer, well, what I found is that you can keep the intricacies of, uh, oh, a half a dozen or so subroutines all in focus at the same time, and uh, that can be quite useful. Now, uh, there is one thing more, though, that I, I can't let go by without making a comment of some kind about what Annie was saying about there being assisted living facilities. Uh, you know, old folks' homes where psychedelics and cannabis are readily available. I can already tell you uh, several anecdotal stories about the positive effects of cannabis among really old people. Not young guys like me, but uh, people in their late 80s and 90s who have experienced extremely positive transformations by gradually shifting away from their prescription medications uh, and relying solely on cannabis. Now what I'd like to see is an elderly assisted living facility that is psychedelic and cannabis friendly. For me, uh, well, I'm afraid it's not going to be all that much longer before I have to give some serious thought to where I'm going to be spending the last 10 years or so of my life. And I'm assuming to live close to 100, so you know I'll be really old. <laughs> of course, uh, the fact may be that I'm already in that time frame for all I know. But should I remain healthy and uh, live for another 10 or 15 years or so, I'm going to be on a serious hunt for uh, somewhere that I can spend my final days uh, toking up and participating in mushroom and ayahuasca circles several times a year uh, in preparation for my final big trip. So, uh, how about it? Uh, let's get cracking on these psychedelic old folks' homes so I can stop worrying about where I'm going to end my days. <laughs> I know that there are quite a few uh, cannabis-friendly B&Bs already, but what I'm looking for is a cannabis and psychedelic-friendly hospice. <laughs> uh, I hope that you're not uh, getting morbid or getting too bummed out with all the talk like this, but, uh, you know, eventually you're going to be where I am, uh, searching in vain for an old toker's home if we don't uh, solve this problem pretty soon. Uh, personally, I'm not uh, concerned about my own death. I'm not worried about it at all. Uh, the way I see it is that it's really the beginning of something new, and uh, hopefully it's going to be as much fun as this life has been. But uh, as long as we are on the topic of dying, <laughs> sorry about that, uh, I want to pass along my thoughts about Terrence McKenna's brain cancer and add to what Annie had to say about it. As Terence's close friends know, during the last few years of his life, he spent many hours each day talking on a cell phone. A cell phone with very old, as in 1990s, technology. Now I see that as the most likely candidate to have accelerated the growth of his tumor. Uh, in addition, you know, he was also very proud of being completely off the grid, but to do so and still stay connected to the net, he had to use this huge old army surplus communications disk to uh, get a line of sight communications to the net. 
In any event, uh, this big dish, which most likely had a lot of stray radiation seeping out, was on the roof right over his bed. All in all, between the cell phone and the communications dish on the roof, well, my guess is that he fried his brain, uh, much like if he'd placed it in a microwave oven. And yes, I'm well aware of the controversy about cell phones and brain cancer, but uh, please keep in mind that the studies that are now taking place are using newer versions of cell phones, not those uh, huge old clunkers like the one that uh, Terrence lugged around. So that's my two cents on it, but uh, hey, I'm open to considering all other possibilities as well. Gosh, I don't know how I've gotten into talking about all this negative stuff. So, Ryan, I hope that there's still enough to smile about in this podcast. Uh, However, I I can't resist uh, reminding everybody one more time what a horrible idea it is to be using Gmail. I'm going to put a link to a story about it in the uh, program notes for this podcast, which, as you know, you can get to via psychedelicsalon.us. The story is from Alternet, and it's titled, The Psychological Dark Side of Gmail. You know, I, I feel like screaming at our fellow saloners who are using Gmail to quit, quit now, quit today. If you're using Gmail, the dossier that Google is keeping on you, as you know if you've been keeping up with the news, well, that file is also available to any asshole in the U.S. government bureaucracy who wants to see it. So uh, every word of email, the title of every web page, blog, and story you've checked on or clicked on, it's all in your file. And it's being analyzed. Here's what Eric Schmidt, the former CEO of Google, said about the records that they keep on you. And this is a quote. We know where you are. We know where you've been. We can more or less know what you're thinking about. Your digital identity will live forever because there's no delete button. Now, you might be laughing at me right now because you're only uh, 20 years old and, quote, I have nothing to hide. But 20 years from now, when you're trying to get a loan to buy a house, well, maybe you won't want the lending authorities to know that you've spent your youth reading about and talking about the beneficial uses of cannabis and psychedelic medicines. Sure, there's uh, always a chance that they may be legal by then, but I wouldn't count on it. Now, while there may be two states that have made cannabis legal, there are significantly more states who have stepped up arrests for even simple possession. You know, until a treaty is signed in the war on people who use non-prescription drugs, until a treaty is signed, it isn't over. There's a reason why Obama and his gang call this a war, and never for a minute should you doubt the fact that he sees you as one of the enemies of the U.S. government. It's a war. That's what they're calling it. I'm not making it up. Am I uh, making an overly big deal about this? Maybe. We'll see. But I don't think so. In my opinion, you should drop Gmail, Google+, Google Searches, and all other things Google, and start using Tor and DuckDuckGo or some other privacy software, so maintain at least the illusion of privacy. In other words, don't make it so easy for the government cops and other screwheads to put you in a cage. Well, (laughs) that's enough bad news for today. So let's close with a couple positive stories. First of all, uh, I want to give a shout-out to uh, all of our fellow saloners who are still active in the Occupy movement. And while the activities of the movement aren't always visible, at least to the mainstream media that is only looking for sensational stories, well, I think it's pretty sensational that Occupy Madison, up in the totally frozen state of Wisconsin, has now built its first house in a planned eco-village for the homeless. So, well done, Madison occupiers. 
And on another positive note, I recently heard from my friend and longtime Saloner, Ido, who uh, joins us from Israel each week and who is getting very close to completing his Ph.D. work. And Ido, uh, you may not know, is the publisher of what I suspect is the world's only psychedelic print magazine that is in Hebrew. He uh, published his first issue this past June, and the next one is about ready to go to print. And on top of that, Ido is the uh, force behind the most excellent website, dailypsychedelicvideo.com. All one word, dailypsychedelicvideo.com. And on that site, uh, which I'll link to in the program notes, is the list of the top 20 videos of 2013, uh, out of over 400, I should add. So if you're looking for some psychedelically inclined videos, you uh, may want to surf on over to dailypsychedelicvideo.com for a little mind and eye candy. And I should add that uh, one of the top 20 features that is one of my favorites is a short Terrence McKenna rap. Uh, and it's accompanied by some truly amazing video images. Uh, first of all, from the modern uh, version of Alice in Wonderland, and then uh, progressing with some visuals that, uh, well, they actually greatly enhance the words of the bard McKenna. At least they did for me. In fact, I'm going to go watch that one again uh, as soon as I sign off here and do the post-production processing that uh, we have to do to get this show on the road, the digital road, I guess. But before I go, though, I, I do want to thank Revolution Love Evolve, who first posted that video on YouTube for giving the salon a plug in the credits. Uh, I really appreciate that. And for now, this is Lorenzo signing off from Cyberdelic Space. Be well, my friends. <laughs>